The music you're listening to is called The Mountain. It's composed and performed by 2019 NEA jazz master, pianist Abdullah Ibrahim. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. Abdullah Ibrahim's music combines the rhythmic influences of South Africa with the improvisations of jazz. Born Adolf Johannes Brand in Cape Town, South Africa in 1934, he was known professionally as Dollar Brand before changing his name when he converted to Islam in 1968. Throughout most of Abdullah's life, the racial oppression in South Africa was pervasive. Segregation was enforced, and opportunities and the freedom of movement was strictly curtailed for black South Africans. Abdullah grew up in one of the designated black areas outside of Cape Town, in a home filled with music and in a family deeply involved in the AME church. What happened was it was the apartheid system. We were robbed of our traditional belief system. So our traditional medicine was banned because it was witchcraft. Our belief systems were banned because it was deemed to be witchcraft. But now the spirituality, how could people carry this on within this uh, horrendous situation that the regime created for us? So the best way that we could express that spirituality was in the church. Uh, So it had a deep political narrative to it. The African-American Episcopal Church, the AME Church, they sent bishops to Cape Town to open churches in our communities. And my grandmother was one of the founding members of this AME church in this enclave outside of Cape Town where I grew up. So for us, it was an expression of of our spirituality, but also there was the connect with with the African-American experience in in the United States, but also to the rest of Africa. So the AME church served as a home for our vision, for our perspective of freeing ourselves and expressing our spirituality in our own tradition. And church music was pivotal in expressing that spirituality. I have downstairs uh, my, my grandmother's hymnal. So I still, I still play those hymns. In South Africa, we have at least seven different nations. So in the spiritual belief systems, People actually gravitated, of course, to to their own uh, environment and their own communities. So you find that uh, one hymn would would sound quite different. And this this music fascinated me. And so I was exposed to all of these different deliveries on a Sunday of the music. And of course, there was also the, the traditional music of Africa, and especially in Cape Town. Cape Town was culturally rich and diverse. It was a crossroads between Europe and Asia, west and east, north and south, with different cultures blossoming and interacting. Because, of like as, as you alluded to now, this, this is this international dynamic that happens in Cape Town, so I was attracted to this. So in spite of, of what, what the regime wanted to do with us, was really to curtail our, our freedom of thought. In Cape Town, for example, when I grew up there, we could listen to every, every kind of music. We have a Chinese community, especially in Cape Town. So some of my friends were Chinese. Then we have an Indian community. When I was about 14 years of age, 15 years of age, I studied Indian ragas and talas. And of course, English, the British music. 
we were closely connected with that. So we were, I grew up playing in dance bands uh, and interested in uh, music from, from, from Britain. In dance bands, for example, we played squares, square dance and quadrilles. But what they did was, uh, was take those Irish, Irish reels and put an African beat to it. <laughs> so it's this broad range of experience that, that, we, that we have. And so today, this is this melting pot. And from the United States came the sounds of jazz. Jazz music that I listened to was, was Willis Conover, a voice of America. Uh, in fact, when I went to the United States, uh, I, tried, I looked him up, but he had passed, and so I met his wife. So Voice of America was for us was the key. You know, I think it came once, once, once a week. And of course, that's where we could hear all, all the jazz music. But our local, our local radio stations also played jazz music. And then I got, uh, being a pianist, interested in, in boogie-woogie. So I listened to Albert Ammons. Pete Johnson, Meatlocks Lewis, Boogie Woogie. When Abdullah heard jazz on Voice of America, he immediately recognized the resonances of traditional African music. We played in the, in the dance bands, for example, right? We, we played uh, the dance band that I played, that I started with in Cape Town, was a big band called the Tuxedo Slickers. And our signature tune was Tuxedo Junction. What else did we play? Uh, Song of India, Glenn Miller, Joe Liggins, and Basie, and our own traditional music. And sometimes you, you couldn't differentiate whether it was a, a Kosa or a Swana riff, or whether it was Basie. It was that close, because it, it had this uh, call and response. Traditional music, basically, is modal. There are no chord changes there. It's a modal. So, we had adapted that modal experience with Western harmonies and, and Indian, Indian music. It, it is so compact and yet vast within South Africa, musically, that we had access to. As apartheid tightened its grip on black South Africans, music became a potent means to proudly claim or reclaim musical traditions and break through the imposed cultural limitations. Abdullah Ibrahim and saxophonist Kippi Moketsi became key figures in this movement. Apartheid was, 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 was built on the, on the premise that we will forever be workers because we do not have the mental capacity to deal with intricate things like mathematics and science. And it, it was made legal, see? So we were all being relegated to, to, being, to being workers. That was that was the, So musicians, when we started playing the music and said, no, wait a minute, this is, this is not correct. And when I met with Kippy, Kippy Moketsi, we said, wait a minute, we have to break out of this, this subservient idea that they're trying to, to, to relegate us to. We started questioning what was happening around us. And the key to this really was through the music, because the music, it opened up the world for us. And, and Kippi Moketsu was like inspirational for us. And he, and he was the one that said to us, listen, well, I understand I play Mozart, you know, but we have to look at our own, our own music here, uh, our own traditional music. So we started researching our own traditional music. And then we realized the complexity of it. But traditional music is uh, inspirational even today. 
Kippy Moketsi and Abdullah Ibrahim would join with Yu Masakila and would begin the path-breaking group The Jazz Epistles, who recorded South Africa's first jazz album. Their distinctive style and harmonies blended the traditional and the modern. We used to play duo. The music was challenging because it was like nothing they had heard in the, in the community. So we had taken this, to, taking this to another level. So we decided, you know, we need to get the other musicians to help. It was just at the time of the Sharpeville massacre. And there was this, this renewal of energy that we had to liberate ourselves. That was how the band was born. And it was accepted in the communities, and we played so many concerts. And then somebody organized for us to record. And it, it was quite unique because uh, during that time, the recording studios were controlled by white <laughs> producers who told us uh, what we need to play. So Jazzy Puzzle was, was a breakthrough for us in, in, in many ways, politically, musically, socially. And Abdullah believes jazz itself, with its fearless self-expression, was particularly antithetical to apartheid. There's no past, there's no future. There's only now. So jazz music, from my perspective, is the highest developed form of music ever in the history of the planet. And this is what jazz music does. It really gives you that insight into, into yourself because you constantly challenge yourself. To the South African government, jazz symbolized resistance. The government closed a number of clubs, harassed musicians, and began to target the jazz epistles. The group broke up, with some of them going into exile. In 1962, with the ANC band and Nelson Mandela in jail, Abdullah Ibrahim left South Africa and settled in Zurich with his fiancée, Satima Benjamin. There, he met many jazz musicians. But the one who stands out is the one who played a crucial role in Abdullah's career, Duke Ellington. We were playing in this little club, and it was great for us because we, I met all of the, the jazz musicians who came through there. They played concerts. We used to go to the concerts and, and hang with them and play sessions with them. So we were playing there, and Ellington came. And normally I would be able to go to Ellington to the concert. But that one in particular, <laughs> the club owner didn't want us to go. This little club, there were hardly 10 people, everybody was at the venue listening to Ellington, they didn't want to let us go, so I, I was very angry with him anyway. So we were just about, just about to close down when, when Satima walks in with Ellington and his whole entourage. I don't know, she convinced him that he must come and listen to us. So he came and said, okay, in two days' time, uh, you, you're all coming to Paris to come in to record. I said, what? So we go to Paris, and Ellington takes us into this, uh, this recording studio.
I think it, for me it was a great endorsement because uh, some of the songs that I played on, he, he commented us on, on the structure of the song, the originals, and the, and the harmony, and the melody, and how we approached it. Ellington would become a lifelong friend and mentor. In 1965, Abdullah and Satima, now married, moved to New York City, a hotbed of jazz. Abdullah expanded his musical influences, hanging out and playing at Ornette Coleman's house, jamming with people like John Coltrane, John Cherry, Pharaoh Sanders, and Billy Higgins. Duke Ellington asked Abdullah to sit in and lead his band on a few gigs. Abdullah also played at the Newport Jazz Festival, toured the United States with Elvin Jones, and performed at Carnegie Hall. Well, that was, that was really an incredible time. It was, the experience for me was really to meet with these people and hang with them and to learn from them. Another person Abdullah hung with and learned from was the great Thelonious Monk. <laughs> was in New York. Was at the Vanguard. I went to, to see him. <laughs> when I first heard Monk in Cape Town, people used to tell me, you know, I was crazy. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is home, this is home. And what really was amazing for me it was that these negative things that they were saying about him, even musicians, pianists, can't play, doesn't know what a scale is. So I went to the Vanguard. When I went up and I introduced myself, I said, I'm from South Africa, thank you very much. And thank you very much for all this inspiration. And he looked at me very quizzically and walked away. He walked to the other side of the room and he kept on looking at me, looking at me. And he came back and he said to me, you're the first piano player to tell me that. <laughs> it was like a wake-up call for me to understand from a creative perspective what this was all about. Abdullah returned to South Africa in 1968, and in 1974, he wrote what would become the unofficial national anthem of South Africa, Manenberg. A beautifully rhythmic, joyous song. It holds out such optimism, it doesn't seem as though it would be the anthem for a people who were so horribly oppressed. We knew what was going to happen in the end, that we were going to be liberated. There was no doubt about that. But while Abdullah and others might have had confidence in the ultimate outcome, the situation was dire for black South Africans in the mid-1970s. Family members were shocked, uh, dead people disappeared. Some, man, was, we still can't find where these people disappeared to. And uh, I mean, people were being shot, arrested. And I had a, a group of young, young musicians. They were all into, I left my heart in San Francisco. <laughs> I said, wait a minute, <laughs> the house is burning down here. <laughs> We went into a studio and I had written about five, five, six songs that I wanted to record. So we started recording and then we had a break. I was playing on a, on a grand piano. We had this break and I looked in the corner was a little upright piano. And the first thing, dang, ding, dang, 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 that was the first sound that came out. And the musicians came and said, hey, that's a natural, 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 that
And we played it for about 15 minutes, 17 minutes it was. But the engineer kept rolling. <laughs> he didn't even tell us that he was recording. We thought we were, so we were practicing the song. And then we realized that we had captured the mood of the people and the mood of, of the country. We sold 20,000 in two weeks. After the Soweto uprising in 1976, Abdullah played benefit concerts for the ANC, which was still banned. The ANC came and asked me and said, will you play a more active role in this and, and really take, take the music to the world. Try to let people understand that, that we are not terrorists. <laughs> So then I played a lot of solid dialectic concerts, and that for me was an eye-opener on an international basis to play the music to, to, to people. Because it gave, it gave me another, another perspective and another insight. It wasn't long before he and his family were in New York, exiled once more. Like you would, you would dream that you, you were at home and then wake up to reality. I wouldn't wish... Anyone. Although in exile with all that means, Abdullah's music continued to flourish. Since 1983, he's led the band Akaya, an ever-changing group of New York-based musicians. He teaches his music to the band in a way Duke Ellington would appreciate. If I have a new song introduced at a rehearsal, I would just start playing it while they're busy getting the instruments together. I would just start playing it. And then maybe the saxophone plays, hey, what the, what are you doing? And then you play, I say, you got it. And then we work, we work from there. I don't tell them what to play or how they must play it. the song for the musician. You have that dynamic of the musician actually being comfortable in, in his own. And then if you put it all together, you get the unique sound. And Ellington was a master of it. In 1990, Nelson Mandela, freed from prison, invited Abdullah Ibrahim, whom he called R. Mozart, to return home to South Africa. And in 1994, Abdullah received another invitation. Yeah, I was invited to play at uh, Nelson Mandela's uh, inauguration. Whew. I mean, it, it was in Pretoria, at the Union Building. And that day at, at that event where the whole world was there. Mm-hmm. 
But as glorious as that day was, years of living under apartheid had taken their toll. Now just to go into Pretoria, <laughs> because Pretoria was a place like you were, you were absolutely terrified even to walk the streets because you could get arrested. Uh, it was an enclave, it was an all-white all, all enclave. So playing there, I mean, it, it was scary because you still had this, this the syndrome of, of not being able to go into places. And it took some time. It took some time to, to understand what, what was happening and that, that we were deliberating. It has changed. Abdullah Ibrahim has worked in a number of genres, from ballet to opera to scoring films. He continues to perform worldwide as a solo artist, with his bands, and as a guest performer with classical orchestras. He divides his time between New York, Cape Town, and Germany. In addition to performing, Abdullah has established M7, a music academy in Cape Town, and spearheaded the creation of the Cape Town Jazz Orchestra. Throughout Abdullah Ibrahim's extraordinary career, there are philosophical threads that remain constant. One is preparation. He's said music is 95% practice, 5% performance and that practice itself is a necessary challenge to the ego. It's almost like you're traveling, say, you travel somewhere, and you're so obsessed in reaching your goal, in reaching there, that you miss everything on the way. You miss everything on the way. And, and so actually, the goal is, is not important. And this is also the principle of playing, playing the music. Your intention is just as good as the result. So you have to establish your intention first, and then everything else comes. Because if you set your intention, you have no control over what comes next. That's destiny. You can't control your destiny, but you control your intention, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, so the same thing with, with, with practicing is that practice and practice and practice and train and train. There, there are no secrets. they are only basics. All the, the greater... Uh, Jazz musicians always said, you practice all of that stuff for years and years, and then you forget about it. And the other thread woven throughout Abdullah's career is this certainty, rooted in traditional South African beliefs that music is healing and that musicians have the opportunity and the obligation to take on the role of healers. The traditional music is a healing song. So, so this was, this was our, our duty and our role in, in society. When we became industrialized, we have been cities, now we tend to be entertainers. And I think this is why, for, for me, the jazz, jazz music and jazz musicians is, is a wonderful, wonderful and self-enriching experience when you speak to the masters and, and understand the, the, the road and the path that they've taken, the selfless path, that uh, at least this is something that we can, we can hopefully, hopefully pass on. That's 2019 NEA jazz master, pianist Abdullah Ibrahim. 
If you want to see the full 2019 Jazz Masters Tribute Concert with performances by a range of jazz artists from Jason Moran to Christian McBride to Terry Lynn Carrington, just go to arts.gov. I was there. It's great. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. You can subscribe to Artworks wherever you get your podcasts. So please do. And leave us a rating on Apple because it helps people to find us. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.